we're back. Stripe Show Podcast on a Monday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Welcome in to so many of you. I know we have some new people joining us here on the Stripe Show Podcast as our numbers have doubled over the last two weeks. Thank you so much. We are flying high. So much good stuff coming. Stripe Show Podcast, we go four days a week. This week, just me today. Christopher Powers joins us tomorrow from Golf Digest as we'll break down the Arnold Palmer Invitational, all things you need to know there about the field to give you our top picks and best bets, which if you watched the show last Tuesday, you know I was all over Daniel Berger, had the win ticket, nice payday coming, and more on that here later in the podcast. Wednesday, Matt Every joins us. He's won the API twice. Always a great and fun interview is Matt Every. He'll be joining Froggy on Wednesday. And then Thursday, really excited. My friend Randy Smith joins us, top teacher, works with Scotty Scheffler. I think he's working with Brooks Kepka a little bit on his swing. Very excited to have Randy back. Instruction Thursday, all things you need to know about Scotty Scheffler as he's in the field this week. And we'll make sure we get you some things that you can work on and that you can think about with your golf game. That's how we do it here. Four days a week. We've got you covered. Let's get after it here. Little recap from the Honda Classic PGA National. This golf course never disappoints. What a difficult, difficult golf course PGA National is. Daniel Berger, of course, he knows that firsthand. He's played there a lot as he lives right there uh, in the area, as so many PGA Tour players do in the Jupiter area there. A lot of them call it home where they play the golf courses down there. PGA National, probably one that they don't play a ton because it's too damn difficult (laughs) and it's too penalizing. Man, you can make a double bogey and not hit a bad shot. Now, we have all this debate about distance and overpowering golf course. Well, you want to start taking the distance and neutralizing it? You play golf courses like PGA National, and there's plenty of them out there. But we're not going to play a golf course like that every single week. But I like it. I like watching this event. I don't mind seeing tour players get penalized for missing the fairway. Prime example, the first hole. Short par four. Guys are hitting iron off the tee. You watch on Saturday. That pin left behind the bunker. Those guys, if they missed the fairway, if they were in the rough, they could not hold that ball on the green with a wedge in their hand. It ran all the way to the back. I saw a player play it short of the green on the right and then pitch it up and make his par. Can't remember who it was, but I watched it. They could not hold the green. Guys hitting iron off the tee, the rough was penalizing. The greens were firm. You had to be in the fairway to attack some of these pins. I like that. I like watching golf like that. Now, I don't think that's what the PGA Tour wants every single week. They don't want the rough to be that long and that penal. As we see courses where there's not much rough at all, put the driver back in hand, not as much water, and let's play the long ball, right? Let's let's play more offense on golf. And we've seen that mainly up to this point on the PGA Tour. But to get to Florida, you start with this course, the course pushed back, right? And you have to play more from the fairway. You're going to see that again at Bay Hill. We'll see how long the rough is, but we know this course with a little bit of wind can play very difficult. Then you come up to my backyard, TPC Sawgrass. A lot of water here too. Rough probably won't be as quite as long as we saw at PGA National, 
but we know this course can push back, especially if there's some wind on it. So you get to Florida and it's a different type of golf. You can't just take the driver and just overpower golf courses. You got to play a little bit more from the fairway. So I don't mind that. I think they do a nice job on the tour, mix it in different courses, let the driver be dominant on some, take the driver out of hand on some, a little bit of mix and match here and there. I think they do a really, really nice job with a variety of courses on the PGA Tour. Daniel Berger has played this course many, many times, and he should have won this tournament. Daniel Berger lost this tournament. I'll give Sepp Straka some credit for sure. He shot 66 on that golf course on Sunday. He birdied three of the last five holes. I mean, he, he stepped through the door. But that door shouldn't have been open. And the only way it could open was for Daniel Berger to play some poor golf on Sunday. And that's exactly what he did. Let me say this before I get to Daniel Berger and my thoughts there. Playing with a lead or playing to a target score in golf is very difficult to do. You're just not wired that way. This is a sport, especially these guys. They're on offense most of the time. Right, They tee it up. They have their plan. How are we going to attack this hole? Yeah, there's some holes where they're just trying to make par, but for most most of the time, like, look, we, we can make birdie here. All right, let's get in the fairway. Let's hit it to here, and that gives us our best chance. So they're, they're attack mode. Then you get a lead, five-shot lead. All of a sudden, it's different. Now your, mind, your mindset is, hmm, I don't have to attack as much because I have five shots to deal with. There's like this target now. I've got strokes that I can work with here. Even if I make bogey, I still have a four-shot lead. Even if he makes birdie, I still have a three-shot lead. These kinds of things, I guarantee, are going through players' minds. They have to be. Just like when you're one shot back, you're like, I'm one shot back. I got to get going. I'm two shots back. I got a five-shot lead. That's a different mindset. I always use the comparison to the player's ability test. I remember when I got out of college, I took the player's ability test to get into the PGA, and... The target score was 151. There was a target score, 36 holes. You had to shoot 151 or better. Like how many, how many times do you play golf like that? Never, right? Similar to Berger. He had five shot lead. So there's a, there's a, there's strokes to deal with. There's a target score. I went out in the first 18. I just free willed it, played great shot. I think 68, I think it was four under shot 68. So all said now I've got all these strokes. Like I, like I had a, what I had a, let's see, a, like a, a 11 shot lead or whatever, right? Or 10, 11 shot lead basically with 18 holes to play. And I remember after lunch, I went to the front nine for the second 18. And I remember just feeling defensive all of a sudden. I remember doing the math in my head. Okay, I could lose five shots in the front and five on the back and still be okay. You know, something like that. I remember not making as big a turn. My speed went down. I can remember starting to hit more poles because I wasn't turning as much. I can remember being more defensive on my chips and my putting. Like it just was a completely different person because of the target score. I shot 41 on the front. I shot 41. So now I'm going to the back like, oh, my God. So I settled down and was like, look, just play golf. Right? Just play golf. You've got your plan on this hole. Hit the drive. Hit your iron. Play golf. And I did. And I shot even par in the back. And I made it. But I just remember that experience and the way that it, it, I felt and the way that it left me in playing defensive golf because of a target score or having strokes to work with as Daniel Berger did. And you could see it. On Sunday, 
The first five holes, he lost all five shots. The third hole, he doubles. He's making decisions that he wasn't making up to that point. He's back in the fairway, third shot, back left pin, hit that to the middle of the green, two putt and get out of there. Instead, he tries to draw it in there. He was fading everything into that point. And he short sides himself in the bunker. It's plugged and he makes double. You can't do that. That's inexcusable for a tour player to miss it there. He short sided himself more on Sunday, just a completely different player. Why? Five shot lead has to be right now. I know there's days that look, it's golf. Like you're not going to have your a game and Berger didn't have his a game, but that was defensive golf. I mean, it was, that was not the same Daniel Berger up to that point playing wonderful golf, hitting this bullet fade. His putting was good. And then all of a sudden it's different, right? Things start going the wrong way and Berger wasn't able to flip the switch and win that tournament with his B game, win that tournament, a tournament that he's going to look back. That's one you have to win, especially as a Daniel Berger, who's a very confident person, very confident player. I like Daniel Berger, but he's confident. Like people that are close to Daniel, they'll tell you, this kid's confident, man. He'll, you know, he might be a little borderline arrogant. That's all right. He doesn't come across that way. He's not sitting, you know, in the, in the press room afterwards, like Brooks thinking he's too cool for school for everybody, but he's confident and he's trying to become, I think, into that next level player, a star of the PGA tour. And that's one you got to put away. That's one you got to put away. I think Daniel Berger's getting closer. Some might say he is a star, especially after, you know, his, his uh, appearance in the Ryder cup. He's got some wins on the PGA tour. But I don't look at Daniel Berger quite yet like a Cantlay or a Xander or a Brooks or a JT. I mean, to me, those are some stars. Berger's moving into that. Those guys aren't superstars. I mean, to me, the superstars are the needle movers, right? Like Tiger obviously was the needle. Phil, um, DJ, Rory, Spieth is a superstar. I mean, those are superstars. Is Rama a superstar yet? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think Rom's moving the needle yet. If he, you know, becomes number one for a period of time and he starts rattling off 12, 15 wins with Maverick championships, then yeah, then he probably becomes a superstar. But to me, Rom is a star. JT's a star. Xander's a star. Cantley's a star. Berger? Getting closer. That win would have certainly helped, right? That win would have certainly helped. You got to put those away. Five-shot lead going into Sunday. Can't short side yourself on three. It's inexcusable. That one's going to sting for a while. So he opened the door. Who walked through? Sepp Straka. Sepp Straka. First player from Austria to get his PGA Tour card. Cool story. Really is. He walked through, and you got to give Sepp credit. You birdie three of the last five on that golf course, raining down the stretch. You deserve a lot of credit and he was 10 under and that's what Berger said will probably win this tournament is 10 under and that's what he was after after Thursday Friday round he was 10 under he said look up 10 under probably gonna win it and it did and Straka got the job done Straka played at the University of Georgia was there from 2011 to 2016 so many players uh, from the University of Georgia just continue to impress after Georgia he uh, went to PJ Tour Canada Got to start there as a pro and then eventually got to the Corn Ferry Tour. He won the KC Golf Classic back in 2019 and then uh, got his PGA Tour card. Again, first ever do that from Austria and now his first win at 
the Honda. 66, final round. Impressive. Congratulations to Sepp Straka, Daniel Berger. I'm sure stinging a little bit here, running a little hot here today, but I'm sure he'll learn from that. That's tough. Five shots, target score. Very difficult to do in the game of golf. All right, let's move it over to Phil Mickelson here. Phil Mickelson, of course, he's been in the news a lot the last couple of weeks. And he issued, quote, an apology letter last week. <laughs> I, don't, I don't look at it as an apology. I look at it as, as a statement. I guess you could say it's an apology towards perhaps the LIV Investment Group, the Saudi Arabia League, because of his, you know, his comments that have come out from Alan Shipnuck, which he thought they were off the record and Shipnuck was, no, this is on the record and it wasn't established and you can believe who you want to believe. I tend to probably side with Alan Shipnuck as those things are pretty understood on when things are on or off the record. Phil's been through this before. But those things have come out and, and they've been damaging, right, for Phil. And he's now had to regroup and he had to issue this statement. I'm not going to read the whole statement, but there's a lot there to filter through. And it's interesting because I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've read a lot of articles since this statement and, and you hear a lot of the same stuff, right? Like, Phil, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. Now you've lost all this money with your sponsors. See, to me, it makes perfect sense, right? It makes perfect sense. And when I read this statement, the conclusions that I draw, and I don't know this to be true. This is just my feel of following this story, listening, asking questions, reading, understand what I know about Phil Mickelson. And it seems very apparent to me that right now, Phil Mickelson, first and foremost, needs a large sum of money. Like he needs a large sum of money. And if there's one thing that Phil is not reckless with when it comes to decision making, it's the impact on the financial dollar. Now, placing a bet is, you know, a whole nother thing in how you're managing your money. But when it comes to making decisions on scenario A versus scenario B and which one is more lucrative, Phil Mickelson's done the math, folks. Trust me. He is motivated by money. He's done the math. Okay. So in one scenario, we know Phil Mickelson needs a lot of money right now. Sure feels that way. A large sum of money needs to be coming into Phil Mickelson's hands. PGA Tour can't give him that large sum of money. He's only going to make, what, two, three million this year on the golf course. Then you add the endorsements in, which is probably 30, somewhere in there, maybe. So call it 35 million, 40 million, whatever. That's what he's going to make. Not enough. He's done that math. Scenario A. It's not enough. If it was, this probably would have been an apology letter. That would have then started to perhaps repair his image and his relationship with the PGA Tour. He didn't even make mention of the PGA Tour. He made mention of the LIV Investment Group. So in option B, I go over here to the LIV Investment Group, the Saudi Arabia League, and they're going to offer me a large chunk of money. Certainly more money 
than what he can make in option A, which is over here with his sponsors in the PGA Tour. And it's that simple. To me, Phil Mickelson has probably already been paid by the Saudi Arabian League. And that large sum of money is in his hands, and now he's working for them. That's what it feels like to me. I don't know that. But that's what it feels like to me. And with that said, he's not going to be playing on the PGA Tour anytime soon. Major championships, that's different. But on the PGA Tour, we're not going to be seeing Phil Mickelson. He's certainly going to be suspended. We know that. If you don't get suspended for this, what do you got to do? They're not going to tell us that he's suspended, but we can assume so. But I think above and beyond that, it sure feels like he's already signed the dotted line over there. I'm sure he's been paid. I'm sure now he's been incentivized to go get other players to fill up so they can get started with the league. And that money far exceeds the money that he could have made over here. That's what I read from that statement. And it's sad. It really is. It's sad. Phil Mickelson, one of the most adored players of our time, top 10, 11 player of all time. The guy's absolutely magic in front of the camera with people. The camera's on, the stage is set, entertainment value, all of these things that sponsors pay for, the guy is gold. He gets it. Put the mic in front of him. He articulates really well. He's got charm. Like, camera on, Phil Mickelson, the golfer, the dude, was the total package. The total package. And all of that, of course, was played off of the platform of the PGA Tour. So now, all right, Phil's over there. These sponsors, that's not not what we signed up for, right? Your exposure isn't going to be doing that. You're not going to be playing in the pro-ams. You're not going to be able to do all of this charm and this whining and dining and helping our company and being the face of it. You're not going to be visible. So, yeah, they're going to bail, and that's what they've done. But Phil's done that math. Trust me, he's done that math. And the math far is far greater over there in in the money that he needs from the LIB investment group. It's sad. And I think what's interesting now is that we are learning more about Phil Mickelson when the cameras are off, right? And that's the question that I've asked a couple of times is who is Phil Mickelson? You know, I've asked players, Froggy interviewed Brandel if he didn't. Um, if you didn't listen to it last Wednesday, you, you need to go listen to it. Just some of the stories about Phil when nobody's around. He's a different person. You know, he, he's, he's a different person. We know he's the, the smartest man in the room. We know that. We know Phil loves Phil. Uh, he's got this nickname called Fig Jam. If you don't know what that means, go look it up. But who is Phil Mickelson the person at the core morals not when the camera's on the person that's what we're learning now and uh, unfortunately it's telling a very different story than when the cameras were on the other guy that had a a statement was xander shoffley xander and i'm going to read this one because this one kind of cracked me up xander has xander has shocked me a little bit through this whole process um in the way that he's kind of postured himself. Now, look, to me, as I said earlier, I think Xander is a star. 
of the PGA Tour. I don't think he's a superstar. I think he's a star, but I also think he's a replaceable star. Right? I mean, look, folks, we're all replaceable, most all of us in the work environment. And I know that's kind of chilling to hear sometimes. You don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. Right? Like, we're replaceable in the workforce for the most part. Tiger's not replaceable. Tiger is Tiger. <laughs> you know, you don't replace Tiger. Phil is Phil. You don't replace Phil. 45 wins, six major championships. DJ, you know, in his own way is, I don't know. I don't think you replace DJ. He's a superstar to me. You just don't plug someone in and he's DJ. 21 wins. This long stride, cool. I mean, just, he's got his own thing. Spieth, the all-American kid. You don't replace that. Rory, stud from Europe. Beautiful swing, major championships. You don't replace those guys. Cantley, yeah. Solid player, replaceable. Xander, solid player, replaceable. So to me, Xander's a star, and he's posturing himself, I think, in many ways, like he's a superstar. Let me read this to you. Here's a statement regarding SGO by Xander Shoffle. First paragraph. At no point. Have I taken any action or made statements to suggest that I would entertain the SGL as an alternative to the PGA Tour? This seemed unnecessary to make a statement until now. So basically, why are you guys looking at me? You know, like, I mean, I'm, a, I'm with the tour. Why would I go over there? I haven't done anything. Why are you all looking at me? Keep that in mind. Second paragraph. My team had been instructed to do diligence on this matter. Thus, we have met and discussed with representatives of the SGL slash LIV, only to come to the conclusion that the SGL isn't close to a finished product or business model. So why, why am I having to defend myself? I haven't done anything. Oh, by the way, second paragraph. Yeah, we did have a meeting with them. Oh, by the way, I went over and played in the Saudi Arabia event and took an appearance fee. Oh, by the way, before I, I left in an interview, had some interesting things to say about the PGA Tour and was kind of, I don't know, I think a little bit more indifferent than I certainly heard from most other players. Come on, Sander. I mean, sometimes I, I read these statements and it's like, I mean, <laughs> What? Like, he just completely contradicts himself in the first two paragraphs. Weird. Final paragraph. Recent articles containing speculative statements as to where my loyalties fall now indeed require a response. My allegiance to the PGA Tour. My belief in positive changes at the verge of being implemented at the PGA Tour. In particular, when it comes to shared intellectual property rights, size of purses, in overall transparency, never wavered. So there's an agenda there for Xander. Yeah, I'm with the PGA Tour, but, you know, there needs to be some positive change. What needs to change? I mean, I, I know the tour is not perfect, and there's some things that, that could be better, and I, I get it. Like, I, I totally, I, I get it. Like, there's, it's not a perfect system. No company is. But Xander postured himself like, yeah, there's got to be some positive change right here. 
becomes a shared intellectual property rights. What? The size of purses. What? In overall transparency. All right. I'd like to see more transparency from the tour. I mean, I'd like to see more transparency from Xander. I read this, I read this statement and it makes no damn sense. I don't know. That one just kind of hits me wrong. I like Xander too. And the Ryder Cup, he's smoking cigar. I love Xander, man. I wish he would close out more tournaments. Wish him and Berger would close out some damn tournaments on Sunday. But this statement and his behavior and his posturing like he's a superstar in this league, proven superstar in this league, just, I don't know, kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But, you know, I acknowledge the fact also, hey, the tour, yeah. There, there needs to be more money pushed forward to some of these stars like Xander and Cantlay and some of these guys that are more forward facing. I think when the tours, you know, putting its logo out there and selling sponsorships and things like that, I totally get that. Um, but let's not, let's not, let's not overextend Xander. Come on. Let's, let's not overextend. All right. That's enough. We're on Monday. Had to get a couple things off my, my chest there. So much going on. We're done with the Honda second leg coming up Florida swing. Arnold Palmer Invitational. Love this event. I've played it in the program many times. Got to meet Arnie. Um, one of the best moments of, of my career, no, no doubt about it. And um, we'll have Matt Every, who's won the tournament twice. He'll be on Wednesday. I mentioned Christopher Powers Tuesday. Hey, if you haven't listened to the Tuesday pod, you should, because we're coming at it from a, we're breaking the field down, but we're coming at it more from a gambling betting perspective. Really cool way to break it down. And uh, we've been we've been doing fairly well. It'd been nice to get one uh, to the winner circle last week, um, but uh, my guess and the insight that we're giving um, has been well received. And if you haven't listened to it, check it out on a Tuesday, every on Wednesday, and stoked for Randy Smith on Thursday. All things Scotty Shuffler. Thank you for being here on a Monday Stripe Show podcast. That's enough for me. Enjoy your day.